Good morning. Good morning. Happy Sunday. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, I was Mr. Pi uh, as a math teacher, so I'd always kids always say, "Good morning, Mr. Pi." That was great. Um, last day of the Trinity. Do we feel like we have any better of an understanding at this point than <laughs> when we started? Um, I hope that this has been helpful so far. Um, last week was maybe our most difficult week because we were trying to describe or understand the distinctions of God in his imminent life or his eternal life, the life kind of outside of what we see in scripture. And we obviously have to use scripture to try to define what's going on. But um, what we kind of came to an understanding of is it's it's a the, the relations between the Father, Son, and Spirit really is what defines the distinctions. So the Son being eternally generated from the Father is what distinguishes the Father and the Son. And then the Spirit proceeding from both Father and Son is what distinguishes the Spirit from the Father and Son. It's hard to say much more than that. We talked about that eternal functional subordinationism, which is the EFSers, if you guys remember that, um, where they think that it's not just about how the relations of origin distinguishes the Trinity, but it's also some sort of authority and submission between Father and Son, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, this church, and you can talk to Rich about this because I talked to him about it yesterday, we would not hold to this eternal functional spornationism. Uh, I went into it in more detail last week. If you're interested, I would definitely recommend listening to that, um, and I'd be happy to talk about it with you afterwards. It is a very difficult concept. It's something that we can't quite uh, we're not able to maybe make a perfect claim about how God's imminent life works in that way, but we definitely know that God has one will, one divine will, and that uh, so that eternal functional subordinationism tends to lean towards it. There could be three different wills, like the Father's will is to be in authority over the Son and the Spirit. The Son's will is to be in submission to the Father and in authority over the Spirit, and the Spirit's will is to be within submission of those two right the father and the son and that starts to get like okay that's we don't want we we're not going there right but so the efsers have some claims that it kind of goes back and forth there's a lot of conversation happening between that right now but if you have more com we could talk about that more at a different point um we spin yes i am thank you thank you for what a great student <laughs> reminding me to record <laughs> One gold star for you, yeah. Um, so I touched really briefly on the Holy Spirit um, just because we spent so much time talking about the Father and the Son. So I wanted to just kind of go back to the, I have the Nicene Creed on the third page, the last page of the notes. I just want to look at that again and highlight what I mentioned briefly but want to kind of hit on a little bit more because I think it's really important. And that is if you go down to the, the line where it says, and the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life who proceedeth from the Father and the Son. That phrase, and the Son, was added starting in about 550 A.D., but was officially adopted into the Nicene Creed in about 11, 1100 A.D. I can't remember. It's like 1107 or something like that. And this led to a split between the, what we consider the Western Church today and the Eastern Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church. Scripture seems pretty clear that 
the Spirit doesn't just come from the Father, but he also comes from the Son. He's the Spirit of Christ. You see Jesus at Pentecost sending the Spirit. So um, although the early church didn't define as the Spirit proceeding also from the Son, but only from the Father, right now, like today, we believe that he proceeds from both Father and Son. And the reason that's important is if he doesn't proceed from the Son, who's the person, the Trinity, that came and dwelt as man and can sympathize with our weakness and understand our position and advocate for us before the Father? The Son. So if the Spirit does not proceed from the Son, and the Spirit is our, who, and we'll kind of touch on this more, but the Spirit is the you know, our counselor, our comforter, and our advocate, like, right, he's sanctifying us. If we're not, if the Spirit's not united to Christ in that way, are we, will, will the Father understand our position the same way the Son will? Probably not. So the fact that the Spirit sent from both Father and Son means that we have a, the, as the Father, as the Son kind of advocates for us for the, the Father, he knows our position and that the Spirit, like we're united with Christ in the Spirit and not just united to the Father in Spirit, that means that our, um, like there is a true understanding of who we are, right? Not our position, not just a, yeah, like, you know, a Father who's dwelling outside of maybe what our specific position is. So he can sympathize with us in a way that the Father might not be able to. Does that make sense? So it's a good thing that the Spirit proceeds from both Father and Son and not just from the Father because there's a, um, a uniting to the Father and the Son because the Spirit comes from both that we wouldn't get if he just proceeded from the Father. Does that make sense? Cool. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of touch on that point. Um, to kind of maybe describe this relation of Father, Son, and Spirit in the, um, in the imminent life, I've been drawing this kind of diagram where the Father, from the Father, the Son is begotten, and then from the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit proceeds. I'm going to give you a couple uh, pictures of what some theologians have tried to, how they've tried to kind of understand this whole Son proceeding, or Son begotten from the Father and the um, Spirit proceeding from both father and son in a little bit of a different way. So Wayne Grudem, he kind of draws this circle and he puts the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit into the circle. And he kind of differentiates them just based off of these kind of dotted lines. So the father, so remember, we can't say that the father, son, and spirit are divided in any sort of parts, right? So it's not these lines can't be solid because then that would mean Holy Spirit's one-third God, Son's one-third God, Father's one-third God. So really what these dotted lines are is just a distinguishment between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Although all three are God, they all encompass that circle. This just kind of highlights the specific distinctions between the three. Whereas it's not, if I was to take this away, it's not that God is either Father, Son, or Spirit, and that he doesn't change who he is based off of how he relates. There is some distinguishment between the three, but what that distinguishment is is just how they relate to one another. This is not 
a perfect, and please, this is not what God looks like, right? This is just a diagram to try to capture some of the things that we've talked about. This does not highlight in any way the actual personalities between the three. It's just more of a picture of how our Father, Son, and Spirit, three, and how are they one? They're one in essence, they're three in their personhood, and they have some sort of distinguishment between the three. Does that make sense? Okay. I mentioned last time how uh, Jonathan Edwards likes to think of the, the father thinking about himself in such a way that's so perfect that he sees the son, and that's how he describes the eternal beginning as the son being the perfect image or the perfect imprint of the father. And so that could be drawn in this way where the father has a direct line to the son, and he just sees the son when he considers himself perfect. Again, this is these are hopefully just ways to help us think about it more so than to say that this is an absolute. But then the um, Jonathan Edwards would go further and kind of say that the Holy Spirit kind of creates, because the Holy Spirit proceeds from both, that in the fellowship of the Trinity outside of creation, there is a fellowship going on where the Spirit is kind of going back and forth, and the Father and the Son, and the Father is kind of begetting the Son in, in this kind of way. Where again, all of this is one. They're not, this, this would all be kind of within a Godhead like that. But that's how Jonathan Edwards might see or describe this relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Might be helpful, might not be helpful. Just thought it, for me, it was kind of helpful to see, at least kind of get a picture of how they might be relating to one another, even if this doesn't, this is not what they actually look like in any way, shape, or form. Cool? I want to go to, um, really quick, if you guys can turn your Bibles to Jesus' baptism in Matthew 4. Kind of, um, it's just like, kind of highlights kind of some of the things that we've been talking about. And it also will then kind of be a pre prelude to uh, us talking about how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit relate to us in the in creation. So I believe it's Matthew 4. Or it's Matthew 3. Uh, right, the temptations, Matthew. All right, so starting at verse 13 in Matthew 3, baptism. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the, jo to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you now come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so. Uh, now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What we see here is God, the Father, speaking, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We see the Son, who's being baptized. We see the Spirit of God descending on the Son like a dove. This is a picture 
in scripture of what some people have tried to point out as a picture of what the eternal begetting would look like in eternity. Where from the Father is giving the Spirit to the Son. So there's some sort of giving from the Father to the Son. And in this case, it's the Spirit, which is, um, there's a lot of ways that people have tried to describe the Spirit himself, but this is, some people would look at this passage and say, this points to, just like what we've seen with the begotten language in Scripture, this is an actual picture of what that, like this baptism kind of points to that same kind of thing happening. That doesn't mean that in the eternal life it looks exactly the same. However, this is like a earthly picture of the same kind of way that the Father begets the Son. And then you see that the Spirit is that kind of connection between the two of them. So that is kind of what they would describe as this. I'll draw that picture back up there. That Father, Son. In this case, the Spirit goes to the Father, but then because we know that from the Spirit, the, uh, the Son, from the Son, the Spirit also proceeds, right? So it would go back to the Father in that way, and that's kind of this picture of the, the beginning. So that is what some people have. That there's again, that's not a perfect picture, but again, just trying to kind of wrap our minds around around that. But any questions on God's imminent life? It's the hardest part to talk about. I just kind of wanted to wrap it up a little bit with those pieces. Yeah. I don't fully understand how the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. Is there any way you can explain it more clearly? Or so what? Sure. So <laughs> the if I can explain more clearly, probably not. But I'll try to define it a little bit better. So um, we see in Scripture, it's clear that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, right? And we see that clearly as God, you know, works within creation. But we're trying to define him outside of in his eternal life. So where is the spirit proceeding to in God's eternal life? If he's proceeding from the Father, he's proceeding from the Father to the Son. And he's proceeding from the Son to the Father. So it's not in this. Now, that's, that's how some people would try to define. Others would just kind of say either this diagram right here where it's just like, well, where's the spirit just ends up being there as like another entity. But they're trying to describe how there's that oneness within the father. And so that's how they're kind of describing that spirit is kind of going back and forth as this like kind of fellowship of love between the father and the son. Does that make sense? Because in like we see in Matthew 3 that the spirit is what the father is giving the son. Right. And so there there is some sort of at least in scripture, there seems to be some sort of giving in that. So then we think of that as kind of the proceeding from the father and from the son. When, uh, just a quick question. Yeah. Where my mind goes is that the son um, sent the Holy Spirit onto us as Christians. Right. Mm -hmm. So does it, the Holy Spirit proceed from the son to us? Within creation, that's his economic life. Right. And so we're talking about two different things. Right. We're not talking about right now how he's going because we can see in scripture that what's happening and all we can see about God is how he works in our economic life. Right. But we're trying to take that and apply it to his imminent life. And so if the spirit proceeds from the son to creation, well, then he must also proceed from the son in an eternal sense, too. Otherwise, 
the son would have to have creation in order for the spirit to proceed from him. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he, there must be some sort of proceeding from the son in, in eternity as well. Okay. Helpful. Yep. Sweet. Lots of fun terms. <laughs> I hope. Are you? Like, the big thing that I want to get away from it, like that. I hope that you walk away from this is like we can see the Trinity clearly in Scripture and how God works economically, right? And so those things must reveal or reflect how He works in eternity. But to be able to understand how He works in eternity is not something that we can fully grasp because we are not eternal. We are not God. So we're just trying to understand how this works, even though we're only going to, as Dale mentioned last week, we're only going to know in part, but someday we will know in full. But we can see clearly that these things are happening, and so we're just trying to kind of understand how that might work. Cool? Let's talk about his economic life, because I think that's a little bit more tangible. Um, so, before we get into this, so this is kind of understanding the distinctions between God, between the three persons of the Trinity, um, in how God actually works in creation. So just a reminder before we actually dig into this, that because God is one in nature, the persons of the Trinity are inseparably united in their external works. That doesn't mean one might be highlighted or one person might be highlighted. That does not mean that the other two aren't in the background. So it's not that the Father can only do these things and the Son and the Spirit like have less ability to do it than the Father does. But this is specifically trying to highlight one aspect of the Father or the Son and kind of highlight their distinctions in our economic life. So to deal with one person of the Trinity is to deal with that person, like the Trinity as a whole. So when we're dealing with the Son, we're dealing with the whole Trinity, even though the Son is the one who's being highlighted. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want to make sure we keep that in mind as we kind of walk through these distinctions. The first way, and I'm going to kind of highlight three. Um, two of them are more broad. One of them is a little bit more specific. But we could probably apply these things to other things as well. But I just I, I felt for the sake of time that we would kind of start with these three. So the first way we see this, um, the distinctions between God and his economic life, is in creation. So Genesis 1.1. I'm going to flip over to that. We see, and this is going to, I'm going to highlighting Genesis, and this is going to also bring in uh, John 1 as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is understood as God the Father being the one who is beginning this process of creation. And what we see here is that the Father is the source and the agent of all things speaking creation into existence. So it's the Father who is, and some would say, the author of creation. He is the source of from which it comes. The Son is the Father's word carrying out the Father's spoken divine decrees. So the Son, we know that if we go to John 1, the Son, the son is the word of God. 
So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. So the Father is the one speaking. The Son is the Word of which God the Father is speaking, by which creation through which creation comes. So the Father speaks. The Son is that word from which the Father speaks. And then the Spirit is, we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit is the Father's breath, causing the Father's spoken word through the Son to be what God has called it to be. So I say that Psalm 33.6 kind of... Um, when we interpret the word spirit, or we translate it, it's sometimes translated as the breath of God. Let's see if I can find it. But by the word of the, so this is Psalm 33, 6. You don't need to flip there. I'm just going to read. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So, that breath could also be translated spirit. So by so it's what's happening here is from the Father, creation is coming, through the Son, through the Word, by the Spirit. So the the Son is the we can think of for example, when we were made in God's image, the Son is the image of God, so it's when creation comes, like that the Son is the actual image in which things were created. The Son is the one who's kind of carrying out this creation from the Father who's the source or the planner or the author, and it's all empowered by the Spirit who kind of actually makes that creation happen. So the, the Father's the beginning through the Son who is the kind of the picture and the uh, the word that which God has spoken and the spirit is the one who's actually uh, kind of carrying out all the things that were spoken through the son. I have a quick question. Yes. It just seems interesting to me how it, the son was like the image that the world was created off of, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't imagine Jesus looking like earth. Okay. Like, okay. So, so. Like, I, know, I know that's not what you mean, right. but I'm like, how does it work? So I'm saying, so the image specifically relates to us, because we're God doesn't say that the earth was created in His image, or that the universe is created in His image. So this is God's spoken word of creation, right? The, the sun being the actual word which God has created, right? And Within that is the fact that we are like for like an example of that is that we are the image of his son and like the the rest of creation in a way is created for the son whereas we specifically are created in the image of the son and then all of that creation is happening by the power of the spirit. Other questions? Does it make sense at all, even faintly, remotely? Are we seeing, okay, so it starts, the Father is the source. The Son is the, um, 
kind of the, the word that's actually being carried out. And then the spirit is the one who makes kind of who completes the work that that is spoken from the father through the son. Okay. We're going to see the same pattern again in redemption. So um, the father is the author of redemption and he sent his son into the world. And you see this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, begotten. right? <laughs> only begotten, depending on the translation, right? Yes, it is the only begotten, but yeah. So, <laughs> eternal generation, here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> so, we see that again, again, the father is the author of the sending of his son, right? So, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The son is the one who is sent into the world, who obeyed the father and accomplished redemption for us. So the father is the author. The son goes and accomplishes the father's work. And we see that. Um, we can hi highlight a couple places. So John 6, 38. This is Jesus talking. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So seeing redemption is from the Father, sending his Son into the world. As we know, he accomplishes that redemption for us, right? And he's the one who goes to the cross and accomplishes that redemption. And then the Spirit is sent to, by the Father and the Son, to complete the work of redemption in our lives. So the Son goes and redeems us. But then the Spirit is sent so that in our redemption we are fully sanctified. Like, right, the, the Spirit is sent as our kind of sanctifier to complete the work that the Son was sent to do by the Father. So the Father sends, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit completes. In this case, so we see that the Father is the agent of or the source of all things from which all things come. The Father, or the Son, is the agent of redemption, and the Spirit is the agent of sanctification. So, question. Yeah. Uh, again, in terms of, I guess, the language and mm -hmm. words and that being important. Right. This, this is going to go backwards a little bit. Yep. So apologies. But the, the idea of set and sending. Mm -hmm. That is a very like a, a, a posture of subjugation. Um, someone being sent, mm -hmm. um, not going on his own. He's being mm -hmm. sent, right? Which means that there is a somebody sending, so mm -hmm. authority, subject type of. It just is mm -hmm. interesting that we yeah. use language right. that points to that of a. Submissive, some father, submissive, mm -hmm. Holy Spirit type of relationship, but then we say it's not. Right. I just kind of don't have yep. language for it. Mm -hmm. and, and that might be mm -hmm. it just, it's just one of those which well, is what can be mm -hm
confusing, yeah. right? Because like when I, I hear this and I hear the Father sends the Son, so mm-hmm. the Son is subject to the Father by being sent. Now, now it's still the same mm-hmm. will, mm-hmm. but right. it just, it's, it's just interesting, again, language, word, language. that just don't have a category mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. And, that, and that, I totally, right. you know, that's yeah. so like, <laughs> confusing. Like, just just if I say the word hello, I am the author, the word you hear is hello, mm-hmm. and it got to you through my breath. Mm-hmm. So, Father, the person saying it, mm-hmm. the word hello is mm-hmm. the son, and the breath is how you hear it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's all yeah. that I like, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Those three parts being the three things. But I can't say hello or I can't say Jesus and have somebody walk out of me. That just. Mm-hmm. would be weird mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but I'm not God right, right. Mm-hmm. so for economically think about if if that if God could do that mm-hmm. where he said save and then there could be a actual you know like purpose Jesus coming mm-hmm. to do that and then through the mm-hmm. breath mm-hmm. It goes on, right? But we don't have a we don't have a category to to explain explain that other than sense <laughs> is my thought is that we just don't have we, our brains are too limited mm-hmm. to understand and our language is too limited. But I kind of think of it that way of right? I if. I were God, and I said mountain, that I could create that mm-hmm. through my thought, word, and breath, yeah. is how that kind of comes through, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the Father sending the Son through the Spirit. Any? You're, 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 I think right? you're hitting that, that, like you're hitting the picture of like what's happening very well, um, and what I would say to your question... <laughs> is that the son's will is no different than the father's. And so even though the father's sending, the son is already in that divine will. And so he is being sent while also having now already like agreed upon it. I guess that I don't know if that's better, but like he's like he's not saying, Oh, Father, are you serious? You're sending me, right? So, like, he's, there's, like, his own will is to be sent. Sure. Right? Because that's the will of the Godhead is to send the Son. And so that... I, I just can't help but wonder if there, there can be a distinction between the, the idea of three separate wills, and, and <laughs> I, I think I would agree that they, they are not, right. but within the single will still having that roles of God and subject to and mm-hmm. follower of, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, or we would understand it in like in our terms, like if you were to send Josh to go do something, there's some sort of 
like human subjugation to your authority, right? right? So that's how we understand it. Does that, I guess, there's not, does, does that necessarily apply in eternity when the fathers and the son have always existed, have one, like, Josh's will might not be your will, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas we don't, I don't think we have the, that picture of understanding, like, how they can be of one essence and so perfectly united in will that there may not actually be any authority subjugation so much as it's just their, the distinction of, the, of, the, of them, if that makes sense. Do you, do you think that in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Christ questions the Father's will? So that was we we brought that up. And that, so yeah, that, that, no, that's a great point. And I, I was I was thinking about addressing it again. Um, so we still see in Christ the the human and the divine, and so some have understood that the garden as like that's the human because he's he's the all-knowing God who knows what he's about to go through, and the human being like I'm going to experience just this intensity of of pain that no other being will ever experience and so the the aligning so that, that doesn't mean that and i think that that's more of a question of christology and talking about how the human and the divine will interact with one another but that's how that would be i guess like commonly understood at least so, because that's what we see, and it's a really great point. It's like, what do we make of it? And that's kind of how it's been at least explained as the, it's the, because he is fully human. Like, he is experiencing the full weight of that. And he's not, just because he's God doesn't mean he's not like, it's like, oh yeah, like I'm just going to stand above while this human experiences it, but I'm not experiencing Like, it's God and human both. Like, it, so, that's a hard, that's another thing that we can't fully wrap our minds around. But it's something that is happening, right? So, great point. Any questions on? You know, if, if we pick up the end of the Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out mm-hmm. by God. Mm-hmm. It's just somewhere. <laughs> so again, Father's word being breathed out, right? So there's the the three. So we're seeing kind of the same pattern, right? We're seeing from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And even thinking about how, um, you know, the Spirit was sent by the Father to the Son in his baptism, and that's when his ministry begins. And you see, that's when he's sent to be tempted, and that's when he kind of officially, that's Christ's official kind of going, right? There's... Sending from the Father to the Son by the Spirit. So, does that make sense? It's it's cool to kind of think about how those three are working together in that in that way for the accomplishment of these things that we see um, in our world. Now, something a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, maybe a little bit more laser focused. So those are like creation, obviously, big thing. Redemption, big thing. Uh, this is more in applying to specifically. Um, well, those things apply to us too. So that's not this, but this is a specific part of 
like the actual redemption, and that's in our adoption to the Father, and this uh, our adoption to really the Godhead, uh, or being adopted as sons and daughters um, to God. And so what we see here um, is actually I want to kind of I'll kind of go through these, and we can we'll kind of see these in different points. But the Father. In the same way as being the author and architect of creation and redemption, is also the architect of our adoption, predestining us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters uh, um, in Ephesians 1.5. So I'm, I'm going to show you where we see this. And Ephesians 1 is actually one of the most uh, complete, uh, I guess, like, um, depictions of the, the entire Godhead uh, at work. So, Ephesians 1.5. So, starting at the very end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So, the Father, again, is the author of our adoption. And he declares us as sons, uh, declares us to be his children upon faith in his sons. And then this goes back to John 1, where we see John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the father, again, is kind of the author, the source architect, however you want to think of it, of our adoption. We are adopted through Christ. And we see that in Ephesians 5, or 1, 5. Um, and in a way, this ends up kind of being, we end up, this is kind of the model for our adoption, is that's through Christ. But Ephesians 1, 3, first Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So just as Christ, who is the Son of God, has every spiritual blessing, so we in our adoption receive every spiritual blessing that Christ has received through his redemption. Or that he has, we receive it through his redemption. Right? He predestined us for adoption, right, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So again, the Father is the architect of our adoption. We are adopted through Christ because he's the one who's redeemed us, giving us the right to be called children of God, to receive every spiritual blessing, and enjoy all the benefits of being God's children. And this is happening because of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit is the imprint of our adoption, who is sent by the Father and the Son to perfect their work in us, to conform us to the image of the Son, and to be able to approach God uh, as our Father. So that's in Romans 8, which is also a very beautiful uh, kind of depiction of what's uh, happening within the Godhead. But um, Romans 8, 15. I'll start with uh, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you who have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So it's the Spirit who kind of completes this adoption in us 
um, who creates that imprint. So we're, we're adopted because of Christ from the Father, and it's the Spirit who is conforming us into the image of his Son in that adoption so that we might cry out, Abba, Father, to be children of the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Does that make sense? Which is really cool. And in terms of thinking about our spiritual life, the fact that the Son has, spe- has sent his very Spirit to us to complete this work in us is the guarantee of our adoption to the Father because of what the Son has done. And so we can cry, and this is this is where we're going to kind of, this kind of completes the actual, like, there's probably more things that we could say, and I, I don't want to, you know, there's going to be classes on specific, like, who Jesus is, and we'll do four weeks of talking about very specific, even more specific things about Jesus. Who, there's a whole class that Zach's going to do on the Holy Spirit that's going to dig even deeper into what these things mean. But this is a demonstration of how these three persons in their dis- the in their distinctions are working out these things that God has ordained to happen as in the purposes of his will by the father or from the father through the son by the spirit questions no okay so that's kind of the summary. God's actions with respect to creatures takes on this Trinitarian shape where it proceeds from the Father through the Son in the Spirit. The Father is the originator, the author. The Son is the accomplisher. And the Spirit is the completer of all of God's work towards us as creation. Cool? talk about some implications for our own spiritual life. So I think you can already kind of take this and I think and kind of see where we can see the Father, where we can see the Son, where we can see the Spirit in the work of our redemption, in the work of our adoption. Um, But this also gives us, there's, you know, a kind of result from this is that we have, we can commune with God and I don't know if you guys kind of think about this. Like when we think of God, like it's, it, think of God very generally, and not usually thinking about how the specific persons of the Trinity are at work in my life right now, or have been at work. And so I think of when I pray, like God, instead of Father or Spirit, empower me in my prayer to the Father because of the Son, right? Like there are. We can not just have a general understanding, but we can start communing with the specific persons, knowing that it's fully God that we're communing with, but these there's still distinctions that have specific implications on us spiritually. And so kind of wanted to highlight what that would look like if we were to think about how this applies to our spiritual life and communing with God. And first off, this I even think this is like a as we think of this picture, if Father, Son, and Spirit are in perfect communion with one another and fellowship with one another, and we are being adopted as sons in the image of the Son by the Spirit, we will one day experience the fullness of this fellowship that is happening within the Godhead. 
we can in part experience this now. This isn't just something that we don't, this isn't something that we can't have access to right now, although we will experience it in full someday. And that communing is happening by or through the Son, by the Spirit, in communion with the Godhead to, through the, like from the Father, right? And so that's, a, that's pretty amazing that the, the Father in us as the Spirit is sent and this, uh, from both Father and Son is seeing us as his Son. And so the love that's coming from the Father to the Son is how he sees us because of our adoption through the Son by the Spirit. Like that is like when we think of like the next time we sin and the fact that the Father has paid for that through the Son by by the Spirit who's completed that work, is still completing that work, he's seeing the image of his Son in us. He no longer sees the death, the the alienation, the the rebellion in our hearts. He sees his Son because we have been redeemed. And that's the kind of fellowship we'll enjoy in fullness one day. That's pretty amazing. So um, that's kind of, as we think of communing with God, some people have actually even argued that those who don't enjoy the fellowship with all three persons of the Trinity are missing out. That doesn't mean that, you know, when you commune with the Spirit, you're not communing with the, the Father and the Son as well because it's, full, you're full, it's fully God. But to think of communing with each of the persons specifically can enhance your communion with God. So, as we think, yeah, I kind of defined it right there, but I'll just read it. It's important to remember that when you have communion with the whole, you have communion with the whole Trinity, when you have communion with any of the persons, when you have any communion with God at all. To enjoy fellowship with one person is to come under the influence of all three. It doesn't mean that we can't potentially commune in a distinct way with each of those, um, with, each, with each of the persons. So, for example, the Father is the source and principle of the Godhead, so is he the source of our communion. Out from him flows the everlasting fountain of love. We commune with the Father by his love. He's the author. He's the source of all things. He's the source of that love, and that love, for he so loved the world that he sent his son. He is wicked to commune with the Father by the love that he has for us. In a distinct way, that doesn't mean that the Son doesn't love us or the Spirit doesn't love us, right? But that's the source of the love is from the Father in some distinct way. Even though it's also wrapped in, the Son and the Spirit are wrapped into that, right? Does this make sense? Okay. The Son is the fruit of our communion. Once we've tasted his righteousness, he becomes our everlasting delight. We commune with the Son by his grace and in his righteousness. So the Son is, in a way, the object of our love. The love that comes from the Father, we, when we taste the righteousness of the Son, he becomes our delight. We, just as you know, he is the word of God that we delight in, so we delight in who he is for going and saving and, and you know, dying for us. That is his grace in which he has done that. So 
in a way, is we, we, talk, we sing the song, All I Have is Christ. Right? Like we are communing with Christ in that specific way because of his grace and in his righteousness. And the Spirit is the deliverer of our communion. He, just as he proceeds from the Father and the Son, so he brings us into communion with the Father and the Son. The Spirit is our helper, our comforter, consoling us in all the promises that are ours in Christ. We commune with the Spirit by his consolation and his comfort. So whenever we forget the promises of Christ, it's the Spirit who brings us and reminds us who Christ is, the Spirit who consoles us in our as we are being sanctified in Christ by the Spirit. It's the Spirit who uh, comforts us in our afflictions. It's the Spirit who um, leads us to further love of Christ because of the love of the Father. And so the Spirit in some ways is uh, that's in a way we can specifically commune with the Spirit. Does this make sense? Any questions on those? It's like a, a kind of a as we think about. So remember when you're if you're praying or you're thinking of the Spirit, that doesn't mean that the Father and the Son are absent in that, or that the when you're you know delighting in the Son, that doesn't mean that the Spirit and the Father are absent from it. The very love is love of the Father because He's the source of all that, and the Spirit is the one who is moving our hearts to love the Son, right? But there's a specific delight in the Son that we are enraptured in because of the Spirit and from the Father. Is this, is this kind of the distinctions kind of making sense? Is, um, is there one that would particularly be our sustainer? Sustainer would would fall under that the Spirit, right? The Spirit sustaining us um, to because so the guarantee of the Spirit, if it's the very Spirit of Christ, that Spirit is the kind of the imprint on us to be conformed to that image. So the Spirit is our comforter, our consoler, our sustainer to complete that work that Christ began at redemption. Yeah, great question. Cool. That would be kind of an implication for our spiritual lives. And I think, lastly, I just kind of wanted to highlight how we might kind of see, you know, we're seeing this unity and diversity in the Trinity, right? There's a complete unity of Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet there's a diversity in who they are, right, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is demonstrated in a lot of ways in the world. So, for example, marriage. Marriage is a two persons coming together in remarkable unity of body, mind, and spirit, right? We are united. It, it, it would become one body in marriage. That's a picture or a slight reflection of the picture of the Trinity and the, the fullness of that unity and diversity that they experience. And so even when we think of, you know, uh, let us create man in our image, the, the three, the, the full, that fellowship that the, um, the Father, Son, and Spirit are having in a, slut, in a small, faint, not even close to experiencing the same kind of fellowship the Father and Son have, and the Spirit have, um, there is some sort of, picture of that within a marriage and the unity that is enjoyed between a, a husband and a wife. Two persons coming together as one. In the church, many members, yet one body. 
resembling the it resembles the human body. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, you know, it talks about the eye and the right all these different components of the body and how they're all working together as one, as one body, many members. Now, this is not a picture because the eye is not the whole body, whereas the spirit is the whole of God and the son is right. However, there is there there's a that same kind of unity that we seek within the body of Christ is that which is perfectly experienced in the Godhead. And so, as we seek unity, we seek the same type of unity as is happening within um, the, with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God's purposes in uh, redemption, the history of the universe, both Jews and Gentiles, all regardless of how they look, regardless of where they're from, regardless of how much money they have, are united in Christ. Right? So a diversity of beings united as one in Christ. Again, a very faint picture. And our everyday activities, the labor force, social organizations, musical performances, athletic teams, the best pictures, or like the best sports teams are those who are united in one. The best musical performances are when you can't tell a difference because it works together, right? It's a faint picture, again, of this unity that we have, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have that we get to experience and witness on a daily basis. So, yeah, any questions? How long did we go? Wow, that went, that went by so fast. Do we have... Um, thank you, first of all, for you guys just coming. This has been a lot of fun. Um, is there any lingering questions about the Trinity that you guys have been like, I, I hope you well goes over this that I haven't haven't heard of yet. Like, Is there anything there that I could at least take a stab at? Um, I, I hope that this has been enriching for you and um, that, you know, although it's kind of, I kind of go back to that idea of we... We know what we know. Here's what we know. Now I hope that your knowledge is a little bit more, but also as your knowledge is more, that means that you realize how much more you don't know because the radius of the circle has gotten bigger, right? But I hope that this um, is, I pray that this is enriching and uh, brings greater delight and communion with, with our God who is so amazing and beyond comprehension. Um, yeah. Any last questions? No. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Sunday. Yeah. Yeah.